Hi, welcome to Memory Chips Podcast. I am Anne Wyshynski, and I have a collection of potato chip bags from around the world. And every so often, I go through this collection, and a certain bag or bags will bring up memories of people, places, ideas, and I really want to share these with you. So if you please subscribe, you will never miss a bag. I had reservations about moving back to the U.S. from abroad, especially around moving to rural West Virginia. Um, even though my family is here and I have some amazing friends, I was really afraid that my unorthodox way of looking at things would leave me feeling like a fish out of water. And I have to admit that my fears have largely been justified, and I feel most of the time like I'm totally out of sync with the prevailing attitudes of the area. But I can console myself with the knowledge that people like Dr. John Flower live here. John and his wife Pam, uh, Dr. Pam Leonard, my brother-in-law Marty Fair, and a whole gang of incredible artisans and doers moved a house from Yunnan province in China to Jefferson County, West Virginia. Why? <laughs> well, first, you'd have to know John Flower. For one thing, this is him singing and playing stand-up bass with the bluegrass band McGraw Gap. And yes, he is singing the traditional Chinese folk song Kang Ding in Mandarin. As the director of the Sidwell Friends School's Chinese Studies program, John works tirelessly to meld his lifelong scholarship of all things Chinese with his solid footing in the folk traditions of his native U.S. He also has a thing or two to say about the significance of potato chip flavors in the larger scheme of world diplomacy. So, here we go. Who is your vegetable? And what do you think? <laughs> Who is your vegetable? I think it's a slogan for Lay's. Who is your vegetable? And Lay's has a great, you know, what I think is really interesting is a lot of these corporations, they get really excellent translations. So Lay's is le shir, which means happy affairs. Who? So do you think that who is your vegetable is a contest of some sort? Or that's just their slogan for Lay's? Where do, I think it's their slogan. Can you Can you tell me what the flavor of that bag is? This particular bag is spicy green peppercorn fish flavor. Okay. But what it really is, uh, is that that green peppercorn is huajiao. So that's the Sichuan pepper. Yeah. Yeah. And then the one below it that's also Lay's, that also, I think it also says, who is your vegetable? What's that yes. flavor? Ooh, this is, this is also pepper and chicken. Xiaogongjiwei. Little, little rooster flavor. <laughs> Little rooster, a little rooster. <laughs> okay. One of the things that I was interested in talking about is um, 
Seems interesting to me that they they would like to put these regional flavors and yeah. dishes so that people can identify with them. I think that's so, right. It looks like a lot of them are, are as you said, regional dishes, and okay. Sichuan seems to be really really popular because it's such an an identifiable, totally distinctive, you know, flavor. Yeah. Um, hot and stimulating, intense and stimulating, as the so as the back here says, <laughs> intense. And stimulating, but yeah, you're right. It's they're they're like dishes. They're not they're not flavors like we would think of flavors. They're like dishes. Yeah, and they evoke dishes. Yeah. So if you look at this one, the one that is the uh, is the fish flavored one. Uh, those are green huajiao, uh, very numb, spicy Numbing. stuff. Yeah. Very very and very associated with, especially Sichuan cuisine. And then here, this one is. Is hot pot, right? So there's the hot pot. Yeah. Uh, That's also numb, and and then it's translated as numb and spicy. Numb and spicy with three peppers. Three peppers, okay. So do you think? Well, actually, this is this is kind of interesting. Do you think that in China, with Chinese uh, uh, consumers, that there's a element of machismo in eating hot and spicy things like there is here? You know how they have hot pepper. You know all the. Everything is like badass ha- uh, habanero, you know, ass burner, whatever it is that they that they have, and there's like this machismo of like how m- <laughs> hot you can handle it. Do you think yeah. that that exists in oh totally? China? You do. Yeah. So there's so, a saying, right? They, uh-huh. they have a saying for everything, but they say you know most people uh, are are afraid of hot, pa la, uh-huh. but people from like Hunan, they bu pa la means I'm not afraid of la. Of, of, of hot, hot and yeah. spicy, but people from Sichuan, uh, they pa bula, which means they're afraid that it's not going to be spicy. Right? <laughs> so they, they, you know, that it sounds good in Chinese where they say right. I mean, the reason why I'm asking about that is I'm trying to sort of segue into uh, talking about the folk house, the China folk house. And how it's a an exchange between cultures, so yeah. folk cultures. So, can you tell me a little bit? Would you mind t- talking about the folk house and tell me what your mission is? Is a little bit of, of the history of it. Yeah, uh, the folk house, the China folk house, is a is it like a traditional timber frame uh, farmhouse from southwest China, from Yunnan province, that was going to be flooded by a dam, uh, built on the Mekong River. And so we decided to study the house and its community and then make a record of it, document it virtually. And at the end of that process, we dismantled it and shipped it here to America to translate the landscape, right? To build that house from the Mekong River and the and the Himalayas to the Shenandoah River and the Blue Ridge, right? Yeah. And so... We're, we're rebuilding it, and we're going to make it a, a, a cultural exchange center and a craft school and okay. celebrate the, the local knowledge of the place that it came from, but have it relocated, give the house a new home, but also in a rural area, you know, that has its own craft traditions and its own local knowledge. So it's a kind of a, it's kind of a physical landscape translation project, yeah. which I think makes it very much like a bag of potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking here at uh, chicken flavor, and it's not just chicken flavor. 
but it's French chicken flavor, right? The flavors have a place, you know, it's about place. Yeah. The same thing with the hot stuff, you know, the, the mala. Well, that's like Sichuan, right? And this is, this is not just chicken flavor. It's French chicken flavor. Yeah. So it's like places have their own distinct flavor, and that's what they're trying to capture in this, right. in this bag. Right. But interestingly, right, it's uh, in Chinese, <laughs> right? And it's, but it's French chicken. And then there's another bag in here where they talk about the whole history of the potato chip. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I found very interesting. Which is the same history of the potato chip that we know, which is that one about how, well, they say that it, and that one, they say that it was invented as a joke, right? Or maybe that's just yeah. the translation of it. But it was invented, according to them, it's the same story that, that we had talked about in our reenactment of the history of the potato chip. Yeah. Where there was a there was this George Speck or George Crumb in New York, in New York. and he uh, was frustrated with a patron that kept sending back his potatoes and wanting them crispier, and then he ended up with a potato chip. So they they retell that story on the back of one of these bags. I don't remember which one it is. It was one of those ridge ones. Yeah, it's in yeah. fact it's a ridge one, which is a Chinese brand, um, and they it's like they're explaining potato chips. To a Chinese audience. And, well, people have domesticated the potato for over 6,000 years. Yeah. Uh, and then in 1853, you have the whole story about the making of the chip. So it's kind of like the, the potato chip is, is an international commodity. Yeah. It's, 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 it's international. It's, going, it's crossing uh, national boundaries. And yet it's deeply tied to local place. Yeah. Right? It's always got a place flavor. Right. So, so that's kind of like I mean the folk house is also it's it it went halfway around the world. It's a Chinese house that was rebuilt by West Virginia timber framers. Right, it's got that international aspect, but it's deeply located, uniquely located in like two places. Yeah. So I kind of see that as a as an interesting parallel with the. Perfect. With the potato chip. And then, you know, it's kind of interesting that the ones that are most local-flavored Chinese are done by Lay's. It's well, Ameri I, it's I, American, I would, right? If I was going to ask that question of anyone, Anne, I think I would ask <laughs> it of you. I think it's owned by Pepsi. <laughs> so so you move the, the folk house here. And since uh, since you moved it here, you've had a number of camps, right, and to, to rebuild it. Yeah. So it was kept in... Um, you kept you kept it until it was you know fumigated and there's no bugs in it or whatever yeah, else. That it was, was important as being a transnational commodity, right? Exactly. Just yeah. as I'm sure all these potato yes. chips. Are <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. I kept them in quarantine yeah. for yeah. many years. In order to put it back up, you started immediately. You didn't just assemble it. You also you started it with students and volunteers and people that were interested in in it. They are in just reassembling it in the process of putting it up you're you're accomplishing your mission of of informing people or exposing people to this uh, folk tradition from this particular place i didn't know until i read that that there was three cultural three different like ethnic uh influences in the china house so yeah so it's it was, a fascinating hybrid that way it's like yeah the people uh, are Ethnically Tibetan, they would speak Tibetan in the home. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were Catholics because they had been converted at the end of the 19th century in this community. About about 80, maybe 75, 80% of the community was Catholic. The others were Tibetan Buddhist. But then there are also people, the, the, the former headman of this area, the Tusa, the chief, was of the Nashi uh, ethnicity. And they tend to be rice farmers rather than herders, you know. But this is right on that kind of cultural and, and uh, sort of uh, biological cusp, you know. And then there are Lisu people. And then there are Bai people who are the carpenters who made it. So you had Bai carpenters building a house for Tibetan Catholics using a Nashi style. And then to make it even more interesting, the guy who built it said, I really like the way the Han Chinese open their courtyards. I'm going to do that. So it's got a Han courtyard structure. Yeah. And so it's a lot of flavors, right, mixed together uh-huh. uh, to create this, this sort of unique and yet very typical of that area right. kind of uh, architecture. And, and, the, and the thing is that you, you know, the, the, the kids and the volunteers rebuilding it, you get to understand something at a much deeper level when you're actually doing it. Right. So when the timber framers came out, we kind of figured, well, these guys, they, they build post and beam stuff all the time. And uh, we had marked all the posts and beams and how they, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll be darned if it didn't take them hours. They kept looking at it and going, that beam definitely goes into that post. But we have no idea how it actually fits together. And they kept looking at it, looking at it. And finally, they figured out that it had to come in at one precise angle, like a 15-degree angle off from, from perpendicular. And then they then it just slid in, and then it, it as it moved back up together, it tightened everything. It all came into place. So, so that was like the only way they could understand that. And that was also related to things like the earthquake uh, propensity in this part of the world and stuff like that. But the only way they could ever understand that, you couldn't really explain it. Like I'm sure people listening to this can't really understand, but if they did it, they would they would understand. Right. You know? Just like if you looked at <laughs> the potato chip and it said lobster and cheese, as this one here does, <coughs> you'd be like, what would that possibly? The only way to know is to just open it up and go in there and start and start, start digging around. Yeah. yeah. What? Where does uh, cuisine? Where does uh, where does food come in? It does it? Does it come in at, in your mission? Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 folk house will be it'll be three things. One is it's going to be a craft school, mm-hmm. and clearly, you know, food food ways that's that's a fundamental craft. Right. It's also going to be a, a place for cultural exchange, um, and we'll have uh, opportunities for people to kind of experience Chinese culture by coming out, having dinner, a big eight-bowl dinner at, at the tables set out in the courtyard, just like a big wedding, you know. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then so the other thing is... it going to be at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, like a Chinese wedding? <laughs> All <laughs> for days. For days. Um, and then it will be a it'll be a, like a living museum where you can you can come and interact with the with the exhibits mm-hmm. and we have it kind of organized so that each room of the house is a different theme 
related to how it was used originally. And of course, the kitchen will be a major, a major site in the museum. Um, one of the things we, we work with a wonderful uh, woman who uh, is a is a folklorist. Uh, she's Tibetan, Kamo. She's from the uh, Amdo region of, of Tibet. And she actually had the kids make uh, momo, which are dumplings, dumplings and yeah. had them make uh, tukpa, which is a kind of noodle right. soup. So um, so we've already started to do that kind of thing using you know walks, right. the big outdoor yeah. walks. But they're, they're wonderful uh, chefs. In the D.C. area, I mean, there's one in particular famous chef, uh, Peter Chang. Oh, of course. And uh, we would give anything, anything, <laughs> if you're listening, Peter. We would do anything to have him come out. And, uh, and, and he's actually been very, very sweet and nice to us, giving us advice. And, and we're hoping that we can get some great, great Chinese chefs to come out and do some real, this would be real country cooking. All right. Because we're going to have, we, we, we got walks and the traditional kind that, have the bellows built in, mm-hmm. so we're going to cook over a fire. We have a little wok nook that we're building into nook. the wok nook. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like yeah. Inuit. But you know, a two one of those two two wok uh, masonry stove yeah, yeah, yeah. that's got the open fire right. and yeah. uh, firewood underneath. Yeah, so so I, I anticipate we're going to do a lot of cooking, okay. and then and then the other thing about it, of course, is yeah. that we're going to have uh, gardens. Right, the gardens. Yeah, the gardens are. That's going to be huge. Uh, we have. A, we're going to have an intensive vegetable garden, an ethnobotany garden that will actually show the medicinal plants and the, you know other sort of ways of using the the native plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be showcased in one one garden, and then a kind of landscape garden with, you know. The, yeah. Rocks and uh, yeah. pagodas and pavilions, you know. Yeah, Moongate. Yeah. Yes, Moongate. So it'll it'll be. <laughs> yeah. So the, the landscape, but I'm we're really excited about the vegetable garden. Yeah. And um, and then <laughs> I don't want to bring this back too close to your turf, but this part of the world, of course, is famous for the potato, because the mountain potatoes that you get in uh, in the in the areas going up towards the grassland. Like potatoes, peas, barley—that's very Tibetan um, uh, cuisine. And if you think about it, the the home place of the of the potato in Peru, right, is very similar to the to the climatic conditions yeah. that you have in in in, uh, in this part of the Himalayas. So their potatoes are delicious. They're wonderful. Oh, yeah. Now I've never had potato chips made out of them. Well, but that could be a thing. Yeah. So obviously things aren't great between you know, in the U.S. And, and China, and people have a little bit of resistance towards this idea of, a chi- you know, China. And I don't know if you are feeling any, I mean, you, you're, you're not like all over the place with the China, you know, the folk house. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, my ne- next door neighbors know about it or anything like that, and they're mad that there's this Chinese house. But do you think that doing food diplomacy is a, is a, is a way to knock down, like diminish the, the animosity between yeah. what you do. Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, so I happen to be leafing through the bags, and, and I noticed um, Kyushu seaweed, right? Yeah, Japanese. Uh, Jojo, so Japan, but, um, 
And of course, you know the history between Japan and China, shall we say, is, is rather unfortunate yeah. and fraught. Yes, yes. Uh, far more than, than our relations ever could be. And yet, here they're, they're put in that flavor. But I notice they're not saying Japanese flavored. No, right? no. Like, we wouldn't, so, so the thing that's interesting that you started pointing out is that it's about place. Japan isn't a place. Japan is a is a nation state, right? It's it's an imagined political entity, and 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 governments. Japan is a government. China is a government, yeah. right? Um, that's where there's always going to be these frictions and problems. Right. People to people, place to place, that that breaks through all that, right? So so here they're not. This is a Japanese flavored. It's Kyushu seaweed. Right? Yeah. Seaweed flavor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I think that there's a way in which you know the guys from from the Timber Framer Guild, they said you got to bring our brothers over, the people who made this yeah. house. We we want to talk with them. So it's people to people, that'll definitely uh, transcend these these what we, what I hope are short lived, but you know political. People aren't political. People are are human. Yeah. And, and food, and they all got to eat, and they all love. Who doesn't love um, to experience another culture through its food? Yeah, well, I was just thinking about that when uh, I think it was the first time that I was training in in, um, in China in Hebei. The um, I asked, I can't remember. We were t- they they were asking me what kind of food, like what's what kind of food <laughs> do you like? They were asking me like what I like to eat, and of course I said, oh, Chinese food is great. But this was in the north, you know. It's um, and the food, I mean, it was amazing. And I was saying, oh, I love dumplings and, you know, I love Chinese food. And they're like, well, what other food? They were kind of goading me. Like, I, They're like, do you like American food? And I'm like, I don't really know what American, f- I guess so. I was like, and um, and then they were like, do you like, I can't, do you like fish, sushi? I think they asked me if I liked sushi. I was like, yeah. And I said, they said, do you like Japanese food? And I said, yeah, I love Japanese food. I mean, knowing the the thing and they're like disgusting then everybody that was there in that conversation was like oh horrible Japanese food is horrible and they just started going off about Japanese food and obviously it was like I don't even know if they've even had it and they said somebody said they eat with their hands <laughs> but I'll bet if any of them had had Japanese food yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't do that right right I mean you know we fear and hate what we don't understand right. but you know it's like it's like those those political divisions and those mm-hmm. sort of nation state kind of hatreds they they can be they can be pushed down to apply to stuff like food yeah right mm-hmm. from, uh, uh, from from the top down but from the bottom up it doesn't work that way right no <laughs> from the bottom up it doesn't work that way. no you know when you go to a Sichuan restaurant you don't go oh chinese food i hate the chinese yeah <laughs> you know, yeah exactly or, 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 yeah. whatever oh, oh coronavirus and stuff you're not thinking you're not you're not yeah, thinking yeah. that yeah no you don't um, think that you'll think that when you read the newspaper, or or watching right, right. Fox News or something. But if you're actually dealing with the people, and or dealing with their food or something that's mm-hmm. that's that can be that can be understood and experienced. The Chinese have a great word for experience. Mean ti hui means body able to to actually bodily experience something. Yeah. That body. that always transcends those that that petty stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's kind of what you are you're doing with the folk house with mm-hmm. the programming and everything is to give that experiential um, that uh, personal experience. So um, so we're talking about the food and I just wanted to end by 
Um, so if the folk house were to make that potato chip flavor, yeah. So folk China folk house brand potato chips. What yeah. what flavor do you think it would be? Like, what do you think embodies this idea of what the, you're trying to do at the folk house? Okay. Uh, okay, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it mala, right? It's going to be. It's going to be num, numbing, spicy. Uh, that's not just Sichuan. That's Southwest China. Okay. Right, but it's, but it's country, right? So it's got to be, it's got to be country, right? So I would have it mala, and then to make it a, to make it a dish, la rope. Mala la which would be smoked ham with with numb and hot spice. That's that's what I would do. What what's so the ham is a nod to the ham. The ham is a nod to uh, to the famous ham of of Yunnan province, right where the house is from. But it's also like the way that they cook is that you you fire up the wok and you hang the meat. Every house, the word for home in Chinese is a pig with a roof over it. Because home and home is where the hog is. Okay? And so every family has to have a pig. If you don't, if you don't have a pig, it's not just that you don't have meat. It's that you don't have that essential processing agent that, that the house, right, you, got, you have the pig there. You take your your agricultural uh, waste and you feed it to the pig, and the pig creates manure because pigs traditionally were important as fertilizer. They produced fertilizer, and then that would go to make food, and that kind of made the whole cycle happen. Mm-hmm. So to have a, a a hog, you would be if you were wealthy and prosperous at the new year or before the new year, you would you would have a hog killing, just like we have hog killings in. In uh, in rural Virginia, West Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. And then you would take that hog and you would hang it up above the walk where all the processing is happening, right? And the smoke cures it. And so they have smoked ham, just like we have smoked ham. So I think that's a kind of cultural universal, in a way, mm-hmm. of a sort of smallholder agricultural uh, you know, economies. Yeah. And then you add the special, distinct local spice. So it's got the universal and it's got the particular. I think it's going to be huge. <laughs> are, yeah, are you listening, Route 11? Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions or comments about what you heard today, please post them to the review section of your podcast player. So if you use... Apple Podcasts, you click on the show thumbnail and scroll down to leave a review. And then whatever happens after that is up to you. But hopefully it's nice. You can also leave posts on Instagram at at Memory Chips Podcast.